0: iconic Lou Reed singing the title to this week's Keep Going podcast in this episode Michael and I finally get back to a specific running training topic we wax poetic abound loquacious platitudes and generally reach toward the profound all in the search of the perfect long run we thank you for listening to the Keep Going podcast and if you wanted this to reach others just like you and give us a rating or review wherever you drop into these conversations. It's not that we really care that much. You know, it's like Christmas comes every Thursday for us. Oh, there he is again. Yeah. Well, here's the episode we call A Perfect Day on the long run. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed.
1: a few questions that'll make absolutely your brain explode somewhere in there I'm going to bring us off the rails (laughs) Uh,
0: well you I mean it's not like I'm not capable of completely (laughs) derailing a conversation into some little eddy pool of my own myopic crazy perspective that we end up then turning back into something related to running as a movement practice (laughs) (laughs) All right. we, st- <laughs> we we have to have a moratorium, <clears throat> one episode where the word practice does not get used.
1: Everything I do now,
0: I know, I, and and that is my main. Do you main take project. this
1: elsewhere too?
0: Oh, it came from somewhere else. Yeah, I bring it to this. I bring it to this room as a um as an unfolding of it. But I do mm. worry sometimes. You know, I've got three main topics I talk about right now with all my athletes: nervous system, mm-hmm. yeah, running as a movement practice, and then another thing I talk about a lot about is felt sense or 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 what effort is and how you deal with that. Um, these are my three like most important projects I'm working on in a way, like trying to find a way to. Uh, they're always present in every aspect of running, <clears throat> and I think they're present in every one of my athletes' running experiences. But they're under highlighted. They're you know, ubiquitous. they're everywhere, but they're not recognized. They're not seen. And so then it 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 becomes a process of continuing to like like what do you say like sand down the rough edge of mm. the direct- the 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 conceptual experiences that people have around running. you know they they talk about paces which is a digital virtual digital virtual non non embodied expression and i'm like let's sand down the pace and maybe if we keep sanding it you'll get to an effort and then the effort is actually a little more accurate for how you deal with every aspect of running but i usually highlight that last There's bit of the race
1: now that you say <clears throat> that i'm like there is something about what's up with the easy runs that are kind of in between the down week, you know, the down week and how those are a lot harder. Mm-hmm. And that kind of jacks with your perceived exertion. Scale. For sure. Like that's a weird topic. And that starts to, they, the easier runs start to get harder and longer in tasking.
0: I mean, we were going to go down the road of the long run, but e- easy run is an, is another incredibly fruitful topic that the I long of run think could that get. That
1: would be, that, that would be a fun one too. I mean, what's the difference? Uh,
0: there's a difference because the long run is a discrete part, mm-hmm. um, and then the long run is going to consist of multiple kinds of long runs. And then easy running is another discrete thing that has can be broken down into it, but it doesn't have to be long.
1: Hmm. I don't know which one. Which one seems to have the most gravity for us today? They're both intriguing to
0: me. Whatever. Whatever. Whatever is, whatever is on, I can roll with damn near anything at this point, so whatever's feeling right for you. We've
1: discussed the easy run and nasal breathing, and we, we've kind of come in through a different door at one point in time, kind of like hacking the easy run. What exactly yes, is it? Uh, <clears throat> we've never quite discussed distance. Um,
0: or duration, because that's or, another aspect of it.
1: And frequency. Correct. Distance, duration, frequency.
0: And, and really, distance and duration to me are the same thing because they're uh, just different modes of the same thing. So if I say, hey, go run a 20-mile run, um, there's going to be a duration that gets covered. And if, you, if I say go run a two-hour run, there's a distance that will get covered. This is sort of highlighting one aspect of the experience over the other. You want to get started? I'm yeah. Gonna, I, I'm gonna delete what we just did. No, no, I'm just gonna leave it. We'll just keep rolling.
1: Yeah, we're going. Yeah, well, that, that sounds good.
0: I mean, in essence, there's usually some kind of snort chortle or some kind of uh of, of like blast. Well, this morning
1: that- I swim about four thousand <laughs> yards in the
0: pool. So there's no extra they, energy.
1: <laughs> they whip my ass. Yeah. I've never. I'm getting. I'm getting more efficient though.
0: Man, I'm telling you, this is the one area that I'm so jealous oh, of gosh, swimming.
1: I it it's so it's going to <laughs> like be like delicious. Water.
0: This is the one area of swimming I'm so jealous of. What's that? It's unloaded. Mm-hmm. And so you can do so much more work. So and so much the efficiency more work. happens. Mm-hmm. Um of course you can work on on stroke efficiency and those kinds of things are critical and crucial. But if you, even if you don't work that, eventually almost every kink comes out when you're doing multiple sessions of 4,000 meters at a pool. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of – and then all of that was all mixed pace work, right? Mixed effort work where you were yeah. changing gears and yeah, doing different sure. things. And so, like, I can't – I mean, comparatively, that would be – and comparative to running, 4,000 meters, okay, would be something like doing 12K or – 15 K of running with lots of that kind of work. And if I can do that occasionally, but I can't do it on a consistent basis. Right. If I go swimming, it just seems like that's just what you do because you're unloaded. Yeah. I remember mentioning to you that at one time that this swimmers were, we were at a party doing keg stands at UT and one of them was like, you guys are soft. And I'm like, I'm like 90 miles a week. And they're (laughs) like, yeah, but we swim three times a day and we probably do something like, like they probably did something like 50 miles a week and and it was swimming but they can but then I said back to them is like what if you had to swim through asphalt or something I don't know there's no a corollary there's no way to make it right for them but
1: there's so much uh in the breath control that seems to be it, it like locking into place too there's something there's a there's there's a like a there's a a water fitness that is unlike a running fitness especially from a breathing standpoint. It's it's weird. It's a whole nother system of of, of breathing. It's like, because, you know, the bigger the breath you take, the more you're going to feel out of breath. There's CO2 buildup and stuff like that. So you take these smaller breaths, you get more efficient at smaller breaths and like kind of regulating the inflow and outflow it's the weird it's a science that is fascinating but you can feel it happen it's I don't really I get that in running from an aerobic standpoint versus you know anaerobic all that stuff but it, it's pretty it it feels like uh, swimming is more fluid and it's unloaded meaning the harder you work <laughs> It's like the less efficient you are. Yeah. So that, that's, it's paradoxical. Which it,
0: there's it's- another thing about swimming that I've always wanted to ask. I'm going to ask you now.
1: hmm
0: And you may just file it away. Maybe you can ask Whitney about it or you can ask somebody else about yeah. it. Yeah. In cycling and running, in cycling much more than running, there's a term we use. It's a non-scientific term we use called a bonk. Yeah, for sure. And in cycling, if you've been on a bike where you bonked, You You just can't move your legs. You fucking know it. Yeah, somebody's pushing your seat behind, and you're you 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 you're not able to actually almost even turn the cranks. But you're so exhausted. And in running, you you people talk about bonking, but I'm always like, yeah, did you really bonk? Because in comparison to cycling, almost everybody's like with that central governor or whatever that might be is sort of already pulling the athlete back from the brink to allow that to happen, though I think sometimes you might see it happen. But you never hear about bonking and swimming. Why is that? It seems like it would be more like cycling in that way.
1: Yeah, um, because the, the hydrodynamic kind of, you know, aspect of efficiency in the water... Again, the whole the whole point You is, don't go
0: anaerobic, you stay in an aerobic zone for huge amounts.
1: Oh, I think you I think you you go anaerobic like lifting weights or something short periods. Like when you're doing like, you know, 50s. fifty, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that, like you definitely get winded. But there's something, and maybe it's because not specifically in 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 running or swimming, but in cycling, I do find that there is a strength aspect that has to synchronize with your aerobic system. And they are like, it's like threading a needle.
0: Yeah. For power, me, power, me and efficiency. Weak, yeah. I, for
1: example, I'm an efficient runner and or more efficient yes, runner. Yes, you're a very efficient runner. And, I watch you run a lot. Yeah. And, but with cycling, there's, there's a disconnect between my powertrain, which is just like my hips down. To my cardiovascular system, far outweighs what the powertrain can actually
0: output. Yeah, if you were a climber, if you could climb, you would like when I cycled. I cycled for a little window of time, and I couldn't go for the. I could go for the four eight, four to six eight hour rides. I did pretty well with them, but I I preferred it when we were on hills because I could keep up my mm-hmm. i could keep up better on a hill than i could keep up on the flat cuz i didn't really have real power mm-hmm. right
1: yeah it's fascinating i do think that there's a there's a tighter weave mm-hmm. with the maybe the musculoskeletal system and the cardiovascular system in cycling i find which 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 would makes me kind of a i would say average or even below average cyclist at the level that i'm kind of trying to compete at i mean when they've got it they've got it and and i asked i asked uh whitney the other day i was like my kick my kick is weak very weak maybe one of the weakest kicks in the pool and 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 i was like is there any like strength training or like pistol squats like what should i be doing and she was just like no no. yeah she was like <laughs> she was like it's it's about you, you know you're you're going to be looking for power in your hips and in your feet you're getting a lot of it in your knees you know you're driving your knees and runners drive their knees yes you know there, it's a difference between there's a subtle that.
0: hip shift that ha- needs mm-hmm. to happen to get the kick to work right you're a- moving a- against the normal planes you're used to in running they, exactly. they require different mechanics yeah
1: yeah we should get um we should get uh, some swimmers and some some cyclists on here sometime just to kind of do a a debrief on on kind of debunking the bonk, mm. you, you know. But I definitely have bonked on a bike. It's very rare that I bonk on a run. On a run, it would be more of a um, it would be more of a fatigue thing. Uh, from a breathing standpoint. Yeah then it would be my legs just don't want to move anymore. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I mean, you feel it in ultra stuff. You know, if you get on a trail, you'll get there. But what's crazy about it is that there's, like, there's an energy return that eventually comes back on on the trail mm-hmm. that's unique uh, that doesn't really happen on the bike. Like, I have been on runs maybe into a... I mean, I've had, I ran a 50, 100K race one time where at 50K I was completely done. I mean, I wasn't even going to go back out. I drank a beer Ate a hamburger, walked to the next aid station, and before I got halfway to that aid station, I started running, and then I finished 100K. Yeah, and it was like yeah. I was like, there was no way I could possibly do it, but I was able to turn it back around again. I don't even know that you could, if you were. My experience is like even if I stopped at a convenience store on the bike, and I ate my way through. You know everything on the convenience store. I'd still need to sit there for two hours or three hours to be able to come back from the cycling bonk that I've been in. It's almost like the metabol—it has to metabolize in a certain way or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, when you're feeding maybe the muscles with the oxygen and the, maybe the the lactic acid breaker switch is just like you're done. You're done.
0: It's interesting. You, it's yeah. so interesting what's going on there, which I think is a pretty good segue to our main topic today. Here we are. You know, as usual, talking about something else before we talk about our main topic. Mm-hmm. Michael, you threw one out this week yeah what do you what do we what are we what are we hitting we, on
1: we rarely talk about kind of one of the most coveted weekly experiences in a runner's tenure which is the long run and we all love it we all look forward to it it kind of holds a massive place in in our calendar and we seem to place a lot of importance on it um quite a bit it's like if the week is is a big arc up to the weekend long run especially going into a race like we seem to find the good stuff of indicators and fitness and everything in our long run and we at least if you're anything like me you look for that indicator in the long run now the you know temp um, interval days or speed economy days they're they're fat they're great but there's something there's an importance mentally on the long run and my question was um in your cycle, you seem to have quite a bit more, um, you know, intense long runs at very, very high mileage. Um, you know, a, I think like a Hanson's plan or something might, t- I forget what it tops out at
0: 16 to 18. It, it, yeah.
1: 16 mm-hmm. to 18. And I've done, I've done both of the flavors. And so we're looking at like, kind of like it gets really intense over 20 miles from a mental perspective but that's like typical fare in the way that you train your athletes so my question is the long run how long is long enough and kind of what are some of of, of the things that people can think about is if they're not coached by you or coached by you or they're doing something shorter or longer I, I would imagine if you're listening to a coach that's training athletes to go run 20 and 20 up to 24 miles, you know, a couple of times before a race and another person's doing 16 to 18, they're going to ask their that question every yeah, once like in a while, a be why? like, am oh, I doing enough? Is, yeah. is my long run long enough? And I just found that to be a pretty interesting question. Do you see, um, maybe we can talk about it from, uh, pros and cons of going even longer, or we can talk about it from how are they similar and how are they dislike?
0: Yeah. Well, I think of the long run in a couple of different ways. We can start there, maybe. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think there's an element. I want to highlight the because this podcast is so often really targeting in on cultural aspects. I would just want to link on my experience since I started running in 1976 to my all the way to 2023. The long run is the happiest day it's the day that everyone comes together. It's a day where we get to spend more time running together and focused on a, some kind of shared lived experience of just the beauty of moving through space and doing it in, in a community. And then there's also this fact, because you know the interval days so often we're focused on our own particular metrics, or our own particular efforts and paces and those kinds of things. And then on easy run days that you're doing in between those long runs, typically you're just completely kind of fucking about, like mm-hmm. on purpose, not um, talking about running or not even really getting into the experience of running. But the long run day is the one day that has both those two. El- has this element of deep engagement with other with others in your running experience, finding the others, finding the people appropriate to your pace, staying away from the people that run too fast for their long runs or the people who run too slow for their long runs is kind of a a, a, a rite of passage for yeah, runners yeah, like you join a new group they're and you're always like, going too fast or, or they're shit. all or somebody's going way too slow or they spend too much time <laughs> at the water stops or yeah. whatever else it's like you're trying to find your people mm-hmm. that you can kind of like like your rider dies as they say you know you find those on your long run days like and then you and then you're communicating about some of those so there's a safety piece that's there but then you're also like just talking about you know bodily functions um sexual jokes are always de derogatory it seems to me they always seem to be happening mm-hmm. what what your latest readings or watchings are what was on netflix what your book you're reading what 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 podcast you listen to what just happened in the news i mean it's the one place where people could actually who love and care about each other could argue over politics and it's not like and and finish the run together right yeah. like it's like, a great safe it's a, zone. It's crazy safe. Like, yeah, this is it is so beautiful that way. But then there's also this period where I don't know if you've done this, but some of my very favorite long runs are running with a group of five, six, seven people, where it's silent, mm, and all you my, hear, favorite, all you sure. hear is the padding of the feet and the and the breath, and it not necessarily getting faster. In some cases, it's when you're getting faster. Those are my collegiate experiences. But later, when I ran, um, I ran as a high schooler. I ran with. Um, different groups of people all the time because nobody was running as far as I needed to so I would end up running with slow people because it would benefit because it just could get people to, to, to go with older folks and they were they were doing 18 milers and 20 milers when I was in high school I was, a, I was running the 2 mile and I was running that long mm-hmm. but they were <clears throat> I learned so much but those times those experiences where you're just hearing the patter of feet the rhythm of breathing there's a, some kind of like unspoken energy that's present maybe it's like chi or prana or some other thing that's sort of shows up in the room. That It's not even in a room, but it's like the circle of friends that's there becomes so deeply engaged in the practice. <clears throat> N- the necessity of relationship with others is still there, but it doesn't need to be communicated in verbal form. There's something just unbelievably epic about that. It's unlike, I mean, the only other experience I can call for this is an experience of one-to-one, which is the sexual relationship mm-hmm. it's the one place where there is rhythm and where there's mostly not talking right mostly mm-hmm. and and yet there's this deep connection that happens but instead of it being so myopic like each sexual experience typically for most of us who aren't into orgies and things like that right mm-hmm. yeah. we're, we're we're one-to-one average and we're creating yeah. <laughs> intimacy on a one-to-one basis but creating <laughs> but creating intimacy <laughs> in a group environment late you know late in a run when the sun's now coming up and we're all i just i just I'm, i i could wax poetic on this particular experience just over and over again because each one of those experiences i've had in some way and this is you know 50 nearly 50 years of running 48 years of running experience so every one of those long runs is absolutely unique yet always has this element of sameness of of uh, The the ubiquity of it. Just the knowledge that it's going to be the same but the beauty of it being always different. Because your partners are different. Your experiences are different. The weather is different. The routes you choose are different. The locations, trail, road, are different. It's just amazing. So I just want to highlight this part of the long run. Those people who, I don't believe anybody who's listening to this podcast doesn't do a long run. But if anybody doesn't do it and they think it's like just dumb or I'm going to give you lots of physiological reasons why it is smart but i would just make the argument that the greatest value of the long run especially if you run in a group is this deep camaraderie and experience and then there's the feeling states that are associated with it where the endocannabinoids come in and they're just getting as i say getting high on your own supply i mean the, the longer you run the more of that that comes on and it's like nature has provided us with the right anesthetic to deal with the epic pain and suffering of the long run by buoying up our endocannabinoids and allowing us to feel this deep interconnection. It's just, it's just nothing like it. Do you think that
1: the long run mystique has anything to do with the fact, I mean, it's got to, uh, it does for me, but that it usually lands on a Saturday.
0: I think that that's out of the structural context of um, Western culture's
1: Henry Ford's five day work week situation and the
0: constraints that and the constraints <laughs> yeah. that both your work week and your family structure it's not just work it's yeah. also school happens for people who have kids um, there's a lot of other pieces of the puzzle people have more discretionary time um, longer discretionary periods on weekends typically
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I do work with people who work in unusual fields like the airline industry um, I work with people who work in nursing do they
1: have the same reverence to the long run
0: they have the same reverence but they're challenged by their by their lack of absolute continuity every single time so it's no longer a church of the long run as if they're walking into the same physical location you know when i worked at rogue we had a building where everybody walked in on saturday and then when i worked at rogue during these years we were big i mean we had that that building whether the building was at Runtex in the early years and then we moved to the east side. We were on um, San Marcos Street between yeah. 5th and 6th. That was a, a tiny little building. And the vibe was just, oh, I mean, just we packed the room to moving to the larger place on Pressler and 5th in, on the west side. Mm-hmm. The energy of that space, because it had a building, made it um, super unique. But now Telos runs out of a parking lot you know the, the the barton springs pool parking lot so that reverence for the physical location has dropped mm-hmm. um the mo- main thing everybody's worried about with location is if there's a porta potty or a john yeah, right? that's yeah, the exactly. key thing for obvious reasons before a long had run, a good situation for a long run yeah yeah but then you're but after that it's like it immediately i think with tell us the group that we have now it's like the real magic is happening once they move away from the Par- the the parking lot, and they're moving into their group environment, and I think it's even more powerful because of that. But anyway, you'd have to ask people who experience it whether one way or the other. But I do think that there's some challenges around that. Um, but I do think that there are a lot of people I know who have worked a ten day training cycle and then their long run kind of usually fluctuates between a weekend day and a week eight week midweek day. So sometimes Wednesdays can sometimes become that. And if you've got multiple people who tend to who have a similar schedule and they can link up that way, this happens in the pro world a lot where you'll see a medium long run on a on a Saturday or Sunday and then you'll see a super long run on a Wednesday and then they'll alternate it even though it's seven it doesn't always work. it's I not five we, and five. Yeah. It, it just mm-hmm. they end up tweaking it in such a way that it makes it work. So I don't know that it's necess- there's necessity of the day of the week. I think the necessity is the discretionary time that a person has to devote, you know, three hours to four hours of time, you know, to from the getting out of the bed, getting in the vehicle, driving to the lo- run location, doing a two, two and a half, three hour run, then getting back in their car, going to breakfast as some people do or hurrying back home to their family you know that's why we do all our quality long run work on saturdays because it's the only time that we have the discretionary time to be able to make that happen so i think that there's something to it but i wouldn't put too much in the actual day of the week you know that's why i never really jived all any of my life with the theme the there's a specific statement i think it was made mostly popular um by shalane flanagan but it's been i mean shalane got it from her parents who were serious runners back in the 70s um it's called the the church of the Sunday long run. Mm-hmm. But when we were at Rogue, we shifted that because we didn't do our long runs on Sunday. We did them on Saturday. So we just called it the church of the long run. Yeah. And it's always been way more relevant. I don't understand why the Sunday part's there. Maybe it's Sunday because Sunday long church- runs are traditionally held for triathletes who do there.
1: Correct. <laughs> who are riding <laughs> that, yeah. Yep, And that's a different vibe because... The bike ride the day before is usually just a death march.
0: You'll find so. this in the ultra world too, because ultras ultra runners who have families can get away with doing longer runs on Sundays than Saturdays, mm-hmm. and then they're also so fatigued from longer runs on Sundays that it's in, inability to be able to to function in um, all the activities that happen typically on a Saturday. That even happened early in the day, like, not you know, 10 a.m. birthday parties and noon birthday parties. I mean, you finish your long run at 10 o'clock and you're hustling to get a shower in and get food in and then get out and then maybe a child makes you roller skate or do some activity mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're at a birthday or some other endeavor or you're at, at, a, at a at a playground for three quarters of the day. You know, there's there's something about Sunday that does create that greater space because In the Western culture, Sundays are usually typically before one o'clock devoted to a spiritual practice. And I think that's kind of how the Sunday run thing got going. But anyway. Yeah, for sure. So there's that piece of it. I think there's this cultural piece that I think is really important. Um, And then the other piece of it is just the most essential aspect of physiological adaptation that needs to occur for people who run everything from the 800 meters to the marathon and beyond is requires extended periods of aerobic running to create the mitochondrial and capillary density necessary to carry oxygen throughout the body and the working muscles. And if you tilt too quickly on those runs, um, then it moves into a phase where you don't get those physiological benefits. Um, And if you move too short with those runs, then you don't get the full extent of those benefits. And then each athlete kind of has to determine with their coach the law of diminishing returns. So where is that? Which we'll talk about probably. Like what is the – sure? what's the too long or what's the too slow or all those other things? But that that's the way I look at it. It's like there's two major aspects. The long run has this cultural context and then it's got this absolute unequivocal. And frankly, if you're not doing an extended aerobic long run, if your long runs are too short and too fast, you're missing a gigantic – in fact, 90% of a marathoner's performance is coming from what happens on a long run.
1: Let me ask you a question about that.
0: In terms
1: of weekly, let's just break it into a week or a 10-day cycle. It doesn't matter. E- either one. Um, Stay with the week. It's just easy for most y- people. For sure. So your weekly mileage, that's in the back of people's heads.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: in terms... And the, the I guess the rapid fire question is, it's a two parter. Is it better to get, um, get an optimized weekly mileage, or is it better to get the 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 target mileage on your long run? You, you see what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And is there a way that those do you? The, the, I guess the second part of that is in essence. Do you see those two things synchronizing, or do they live
0: discreetly? Well, let me go to point two, and then I'll move to point A.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the better.
0: Um, Nothing is ever discreet. Okay. So everything is always mixed up. Mm -hmm. because we're living systems and, sorry, categorization has allowed us psychologically to place things in categories and those things makes it easier to understand but the living system is not recognizing that. It's just going, today I'm running again. Oh, today I'm running again. Mm -hmm. Oh, today I'm running again. Or it's, it's not even saying those things. These things are just happening and they're doing it and they don't know they are connected to a sun rising and a sun setting, and then for men slightly, but for women so much more. They're also happening from a hormonal level of every thirty days or twenty-eight to thirty days. There's a hormonal cycle that's going on. So Something these cycles, that I always take for granted. Yes, these cycles, male, but but <laughs> men are going through these too. But the and what's going on from those hormonal that hormonal perspective is not as as strongly felt as it is for women, mm-hmm. um, and there's not a physical manifestation, which is pretty pretty sure, pretty extreme, but. I think that there are these... These cycles are more important than the seven-day week. Um, And then... So I think that they're not discrete. But I think that they do... They are definitely intertwined, and they should be intertwined. So conventional... Moving to question A, or your first part of this. Conventional theory has always been that your long run should be 20% of your weekly mileage. That's just an old distance runner trope, okay? And it it is uh, true... For people who are lower volume, so people who are in that 50-mile-a-week volume, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're typically going to see somewhere around, um, what's 20% of 50? 10. 10. So they're going to see that as a uh, a volume metric that makes sense, and it makes sense. And there's a lot of like high school runners and maybe even some college runners who continue to keep that. They might run 50 miles a week, and they might run a 10-mile-long run. But that's because they followed a basic this basic pattern of following at 20%. My experience when I worked at Rogue, um, and when I, as I do it at Telos, but especially, notice this at Rogue, especially beginner runners who want to run their first marathon, you, you cannot follow that metric because they're going to run twenty. Seems a little unrealistic, doesn't it? They're going it? to run 26.2 miles on a ra- given race day, and most of them, they're just getting started running, so 25, 30 miles a week. 35 miles a week is a lot of miles for a relative beginner. Even if they – because most of them can run a half marathon on that really easily. But then they need to get this long run in to be prepared for the specific requirements of 26.2 miles. Um, And Mm -hmm. so what we're finding is that, oh, my God, their long run is sometimes more than 50% of their weekly volume. That's
1: that's an interesting cocktail of a foundational requirement of the work and then the specificity of the – of, of the idea of the mm-hmm. event meeting kind of the simulation of that event, typically revolving around the long run.
0: So, then if somebody's going to believe this idea of 20%, then they're either going to keep their long run short or they're going to way too quickly r- ramp up ramp up their weekly volume. And they're going to get so fatigued that the long or run is broken gonna, down yeah. or beat up because most of them are also going to join a program and that program is going to privilege, like we did at Rogue and I do at Telos, some kind of Fast quality work to try to create efficiency and power. You know, basically. So those those the the thing is is that there are all these there are these tropes and these 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 ideas around it. The way I look at this, and this is something that's been that's pretty unique in my program, and and everybody who joins my program hears me talk about this, and it's good to discuss because I'm one of the most anybody who's listened to me over the years or who understands my philosophy heard my very first podcast recording I did with my good friend Chris McClung on the running rogue podcast and it was miles matter
1: yeah this our, was our
0: very yeah, first mm-hmm. and it, it is really every time I meet anybody or talk to anybody and they mm-hmm. mention that podcast which had my experience of it was a hundred episode run it's 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 beyond classic it's epic but they're still holding on that I'm holding that as, imp- as most important. And I've I've moved away from that a lot. I do think miles matter. There's no doubt that they matter. <clears throat> but we need to pay attention to how they play into a, into a person's ability to manage the rest of their life because I'm into a nervous system model. Nervous system is what's kind a, of What kind of load mm-hmm, is that if a person mm-hmm. wants to run – if a person thinks they need to run 70 miles a week but they're a nurse and they have two kids? They're I felt liberated when I released the idea
1: – that my 50 mile work week was not good enough. Like I was always thinking I needed to get up to 75 and 80 Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and I was, but I was, I felt like truly liberated when you told me one time that, you know, figure out what your body is, is trying to tell you, you're going to have, you're going to have a sweet spot in there and that's up to you to decide. And it's, it's like, Oh, Oh, and you start listening to to yourself, and you know. I, ironically, I think the quality of the miles mattered more.
0: The variety, yeah, yeah. of work matters more, even than the quality of work. Because when you say quality,
1: yeah, I'm talking about that the the deliberate delineation, the
0: intention, exactly, the intentionality, mm-hmm. yes. So anybody that's interested in that concept, because I'm not going to break down weekly volume very much. I have a whole podcast episode on the Running on Purpose podcast that's entitled On Mileage and Sweet Spots. Mm -hmm. Listen to that. I hit a lot of the stuff that people will want to hear about weekly volume there. Um, I'll just say that I don't privilege that metric. I privilege the long run. So to me, what has happened is that I kind of think about – my model is much more as I say on that podcast, what does your race require? The vast majority of people I work with are running a marathon, so they need to be able to cover 26.2 miles at a given pace that they've set an objective to. So we really need to be thinking about these single runs that we do consistently that actually prepare us for that distance.
1: And then everything else is kind of keyed up
0: to prepare for that. Correct, and I do three kinds of long runs. And this is relatively new for me. I now have it really locked in. Um, because mm-hmm. it seems to me that I'm getting this extra benefit from, from an area that I didn't focus on before. Uh, I do three things. the first week of a cycle, I do an extended long run time on duration, mm-hmm. not on distance, and it builds to three hours. Now, if I'm working with a half marathoner, uh, they will build that to two and a half hours unless they're on um, unless they're pace per miles, right that that's not irrelevant if they're going to be finish their half marathon more along the lines of um, two and a half or three hours, they need to go that far. And mm-hmm. that, that's not typical, but it, it occasionally happens. So mm-hmm. um, for someone who's listening to this who runs slower paces, you are not devalued. You just have to adjust what you're doing to make sure that you're preparing for that. But everybody who's running a marathon is running be over, over three hours. 90% of the people I work with are running over three hours. Yeah, I work with people who are faster. But even my two-hour, 30-minute marathoners or running a three-hour long run. If I were working with a two-ten marathoner, they'd run a three-hour long run. There's so many. There's so many of the elite community
1: that, that I, I know mean. that that they barely run more than, you know, couple hours because they get most of their their quality work done and so it's so
0: fast but what happens to those athletes is that they end up cramping they end up having issues Mm -hmm. after 30k or 35k that they can't deal with because the neuromuscular requirements for running the distance and the pounding you need to get out over the distance Mm -hmm. so that first week that first run is always over distance easy long run now i have another version of that that actually has a one day each cycle where i'm saying Listen, you need to run 20 to 30 minutes over your marathon goal time.
1: That's a tough run. So
0: somebody mm-hmm. who's a three-hour marathoner, that means I'm asking them one time during a cycle to run a 320 to three out 330. And mentally, there—if
1: I'm not even prepared to do that because I'm like, no, the longest I want to run is, it, it, you know. Yeah, but you're never
0: going to get to the deep, dark place. Right, right. So it's interesting to to. how much work that, that takes. And, and that's easy. And because it's duration, I de- couple pace at all from it i mm-hmm. tell the athlete you can look at your pace later when you're looking at your data but please do as good a job as possible to not refer to that as the a metric of value um how we, do you
1: set an intention for that run
0: well each person will do it a little bit differently mm-hmm. you know with my group we meet At a physical location, and I give them a run distance, and they just run out to an hour and a half out, Mm -hmm. and then they run back. Right, and they end up not getting to three hours a lot of times because they end up naturally progressing and getting faster. Loops
1: around. Some people will gerbil
0: that way and run around, but other times, other people will just finish it, and it's okay. It's like there's no there's no set value to three hours. It's just three hours is typical. It gets people who are marathoners really ready for the kind of the multiple levels of challenge that come. And this is something, again, that's new in my program. I used to just say, hey, we're just going to run distance. Don't worry about it. But now I'm really a big believer in this because it slows people's easy run down, especially the early miles, so they don't get going too fast because they're like, well, i got to finish three hours anyway, so it doesn't matter if I run 630 per mile pace. Like, 730 per mile is exactly equal, if they believe me. Many of them are talking, they don't, but that's okay. Eventually they do. Eventually the people who do this consistently – Man, I have multiple people I could give you examples to who said disregarded me for the last two years on this topic who are now died in the wool believers. In fact, they're asking me, would I benefit from a longer long run? And I don't think so. I think somebody who's already under three hours, you need one three-hour long run, one over-distance easy long run that might be good to go, you know, one, one, 315, 330 maybe. But beyond that, you're going to beat yourself up beyond what's really necessary. Now, of course, ultra runners, that's a different category. You're in a different situation. But for marathoners, that's typically what I say. So my second long run is some kind of the thing I'm known for. I was known for at Rogue and I'm known for at Telos, which is, I call it a quality long run. This is race day simulations. Multiple, and I do- Nested
1: within the workout. Within a
0: net. And I do lots of different work. Those
1: are the best.
0: They're highly unique. Mm -hmm. Um, They're the one- they're the one proprietary blend of spices mm-hmm. that I put in yeah, that, I like guard, you that I try to guard, that I try to guard kind of closely. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, yeah, I put this in it No, I put that in it and I change those. And I, and I, and I'm still growing as a coach mm-hmm. and I'm using my athletes as guinea pigs and they're welcome. They love the guinea pig nature of it because they feel they begin to sense that they're a part of a project that's deeper. I just said this in my season review with my telos group. like. Our macro, like our overview of our program, it's fucking tight, dude. Mm-hmm. Like It's it's good. But we need to continue to explore the outside edges of what we're doing and look at what we're doing. I had a workout that was maybe a little bit too hard of a quality workout. I named it Old Scratch. It's like a, mm-hmm. the devil's workout. And now I've adjusted it and moved it to a different session that I'm now calling the dance. So it's a little bit of a different vibe. But we do that constantly. But that long run is really important for... Um, Half marathoners and marathoners especially. You need to be doing something really specific around the race distance that you're running and make sure that you're focusing on the kinds of feeling states, the kind of nutritional aspects that you need to, you know, fueling aspects that are important, hydration aspects that are important, and um, mostly just like n- creating the self-trust within your nervous system to say I can go hard I can go to the well and I can bounce back I can fall apart but I can come back or like we like to say marathon has all these bad patches that people talk about Simulate my those, workouts yeah. provide you opportunities to go through those bad patches and I do it a lot of different ways and then my third run is what I call an easy long run on a drop week and that is 90 minutes to two hours as you choose no magic in the two hours no magic in the 90 minutes just one of those two just go out show up with your crew and and Talk and joke and grab ass. It's just a little bit of an extended easy. That's your run down week huh? on my down week, mm-hmm. and that makes sure that everybody's fully recuperated and recovered. And now for my half marathoners and five k, 5K 5 k, ten k 5K athletes, sometimes that Saturday workout. But will those
1: be, are the sinister ones because as you get closer to the race, those can become
0: pretty. The, those are have the ability to become mentally tasking. They're really what what happens for people. They have they have. You're right. There's two challenges around that easy. That, that drop week long run. They're confusing. The first one is <laughs> when they first start with me, they're like, wait, I feel like shit because mm-hmm. they haven't adapted to that, that, um, that drop week. Mm-hmm. They're used to kind of grinding a little bit more. Most mm-hmm. people in most groups do. We really privilege hard days hard, easy days easy, hard weeks hard, easy weeks easy. Mm-hmm. Our easy week is basically almost completely easy running with some little bit of speed economy thrown in there. Now, occasionally, depending on the cycle, I'll throw downhill running, getting ready for Boston, or I'll throw those critical velocity reps that we talk about so often on a drop week because some people get bored and they don't feel. if Once people get acclimated to the drop week, sometimes we can do a little bit of work because it just feels better to do it. Um, but th- then late in the cycle, a lot of what I find out happens on those drop week long runs is people are feeling like they the bit The bit bit is between their teeth and they're ready to go and they have a hard time taking it easy enough because they're finally recuperating, recovering from those two days of easy running. And then they're like, coach, let's go. Like, I want to go. And I'm like, calm down, relax. Remember, you've got to usually my hardest quality session of the week. My hard really hard quality session is usually week one. The week after a drop week, the Tuesday after a drop week. So if they push yeah. that long run, that media, that, that drop long run, yeah, and then they roll into do, a nine you, to 10 mile quality workout with, with warm up and cool down. That's like, 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 you'll have
1: them doing like six by a mile or something on that hard. Tuesday. And, it's and I like, do pace change. They did something like, why the shit is this so hard? It's because, well, Correct. yeah. So. Correct.
0: so somebody might say, what's the value of that easy long run on a drop week? Why does it matter? It's an
1: aperture, you know, priority on.
0: It's on recovery. Yeah. But it's also that it kind of operates as a medium long run. So there's another whole category of runs that some coaches use. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because they value weekly volume. And when I worked at Rogue and I was working with a lot of people online Mm -hmm. who were whose volume was in that 25 to 30 mile a week zone. Yeah. They they really needed a buy, mileage bump, but you couldn't distribute it across any of the other days of the week for them because maybe they were only running four or five days of the week. So what I would do, what we do, is give a medium long run to them, which would be twenty percent less of the volume. So if it was a sixteen mile long run, they might do a twelve mile medium long run, and that way I got an extra mileage bump, and that but it but it came in one single run, so it wasn't stretched out across the cycle. But that's what we're talking about weekly volume can can be confusing that people yeah, conflate. Um, But, you know, my view about it is that privilege the long run for the for the vast majority of people who have busy, complex, challenging lives, privilege your long run and categorize it in a way that makes sense for you. If you're a coach or you as a self-coached athlete do it a little differently, you're not doing anything wrong. This is just the way that works for me and my athletes. Let me break down this idea really quickly around how the Hansons do it because I've gotten a little more clarity around this. When I first, you know, 10 years ago, I was my athletes were all over these running boards and talking about how mm-hmm. we did things. And before, when we did those things, I mean, we did like what Steve Magnus calls seeing God workouts. I mean, one time we had a workout that was 20 miles with pace changing and everything else. You end up at the track and you do a 10K on the track. Yeah. Like I, I don't do that. I don't do that. That's an old school rogue thing, right? That's an old school system thing. I yeah. bought that. That was very, very start
1: north and yes. run to the
0: track. That's yeah. the Boston
1: simulator. Yeah. We right?
0: don't do that anymore because it's just too much of a load to get re- recovered from. And so, and it was positioned in such a way in my cycle where people were typically having marathon race day that day. Um, it's, and, and it's like, that's well, okay, that's, a, that's did, a, did, it, did, it, did it, Got it done. A
1: month. What's that uh, acronym? It's a T F U. It's What's like, that? I don't know. It's like harden the fuck up. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. that's one of those ones where it's, where you had, you,
0: it puts you in your place. Like, yeah. And yeah. I now can do that in 18 miles or 20 miles. I don't yeah. need to do it in 26 miles anymore, Jeez. but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I figured out ways to do that I, because, because I did have those problems happen. But, um, I forgot where I was going with this. Uh, Oh, the Hansons. Yeah. Um, so though my folks would argue with their folks on these forms. Oh wow. And they would get into discussion. So why one is better than the other, and one doesn't make any sense. The Hansons model is a little bit different, as I understand it. The reason, and they seem to top out at sixteen, although I've heard some people talk about eighteen. And the reason that works is because they expect you to carry a much higher weekly volume. And the 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 workouts on the weekdays seem to be like,
1: I mean, pretty pretty intense, like eight to ten easy. You, you know yeah, stuff like that that's what I mean. like, they're long
0: exactly they're, so they're, their weekly volume it's like spread out their weekly volume is much higher so they get so their long run ends up being um you know it, 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 it's it that's how they get through it with that I mean, population the of plan
1: as like yeah, maybe like it's oh it's like over 50 miles or something yeah. like that that's like that's quite a bit for yes. somebody looking Yes, you know, so it's yeah. a and
0: it's a big ask for most modern people who have busy lives. Fifty sure. miles a week is a big ask, and I think that's and why every that, day feels a little fatigued. And that's how they do it. Mm-hmm.
1: They accumulate that fatigue. They
0: accumulate the fatigue. And our philosophy and is then just they taper, correct? And, then and you our, go unleash. And our philosophy is just a little bit different. We just mm-hmm. we hard easy it a little bit more. And mm-hmm. who's to say? You know, I think that what really what comes down to is that there are there are there are positive adapters to both. Models. People who really adapt well to that kind of steady grind um, will do better, obviously, in that kind of program. And people who did better with a hard, easy. Now, where does belief come in that? It's a lot, whichever influence, whatever program you're influenced by. I guarantee you give me some of the. Hansen's people, I can make them improve really, really quickly. Some Inva- Hansen's people, my people, go over to the Hansen's program. They'll, they'll improve really, really quickly. But it, eventually, what you need to do is do one or the other because they're really tapping at different things. If you try to do both, you'll probably blow up. They're just differently, differently focused. Um, and I, you know, I feel ha- somebody asked me recently, um, how do I, how strongly do I feel? about my program and especially the long run quality workouts and the way my program is set up and i said i feel extremely strongly that it's incredibly effective perhaps the most effective i've ever seen across and i've studied lots of people's different programs right but i am not confident that it works for everybody yeah that makes sense i mean but but for the bell curve of people that are dealing with jobs and you know it's it's designed for those folks right um when i worked with my pro population my marathoners didn't 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 perform up to snuff um and i think that that's where i learned a lot from john Shrupp.
1: well i was going to bring john's uh, he he mentioned something uh how much he valued the week the the midweek long run mm-hmm. and that's not i've had my um my running group we started doing 10 miles and all of us have just including myself a little 10 miler Super aerobic, super enjoyable. Midweek has done wonders for the group. I've seen people just... Huge dividends on, on
0: this is this is how I increase weekly volume for my athletes. Yeah, and you so touched when an on that. So athlete wants to go from fifty miles a week to sixty miles a week, what I say is, okay, let's first build up one of these days of the week that you're going to do as a medium long run. In our system, we do it on Thursdays because they've got a group to do it with, so it's a little bit easier. And we do speed economy on Thursdays, and as long as they're doing their speed economy, you, get you know, four up, four on, down. On, well, they usually you know. do their speed economy a little bit earlier. They maybe do three up. Mm-hmm. And then do five down, or yeah. some of, a lot of our right. folks are running mm-hmm. twelve or fourteen on that day, and so they're doing three or four up, and then they're doing their speed economy, which typically is less than two miles worth of work.
1: Yeah, they're going to get, and they're
0: fresh and they're ready. They get all mm-hmm. the benefits from it, and then they can still go out there and run easy. And then the easy running actually helps diffuse any of the any lactic that might have developed during those it helps you work out some of the kinks that happen from running really fast like running up hills fast and those other things it ends up being a nice little mix so that's something that we do sometimes is because then it then it allows to keep their easy runs rather constant i'm a big believer in this is scientific principle limit variables as often as possible Mm -hmm. so you can figure out what's making a difference for a person. Um, And so that's where weekly volume to me is underprivileged because I'm just like, you know, we're just going to run three on those other days. Or if you're a higher volume person, it's going to be five to six on those days for people. I have people who run 100 miles a week. They run 10 on those days. You know, that's and to me, I see. I mean, I have an athlete that outperformed everybody in my group. He was probably doing 40 miles a week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's incredibly talented. Yeah. But he was maybe 50 miles a week. I mean, I would be. I don't even know if he was doing fifty miles. Yeah, and he ended up being the fastest of the season. But we're right?
1: talking about a guy with a great mental disposition, and everything. And he's His, biomechanically yeah. <laughs> efficient, and
0: he's young, and he's, he, he's it, evolving it, and learning. You can
1: tell it just the the, the mind, the yes. mental game is strong, which means the nervous system. He just game believes. Is strong. He yeah. just believes
0: in what he's doing. He's trusted me, and then he just executes because you know he's a he's a big he's a big game hunter in the business world, so he can bring that big game hunting attitude to his runs but he just does the big ones hard right and then he does everything else and he just when he's running with everybody else during those times he's like a little kid grab assing Mm -hmm. joking Mm -hmm. around he's the jokester it's it's pretty cool you know who
1: does um well the endurance cycling does this really well um they you literally cannot ride a hundred like a century ride Mm -hmm. by just doing going hard going hard on your one you have to go zone two you Mm -hmm. have to there, there is something so special about the two or three other rides per mm-hmm. week that are an hour and a half or two hours. And those are, like, substantially – that would be the equivalent of maybe doing, you know, uh, 14 – 12 to 14 miles twice a week and then going out and doing a 20-miler on the weekend. So, like, there's something that, that clicks – in that so it's that's the next level. It's the it's supplementary the phase. If you want to step it up, you 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 key it on on your your workout, then you key it with your mileage, and then you level it up right. with um kind of introducing an appropriate amount of um I don't know what you would what you would call it, um endurance, good fatigue, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it. Um You can raise the bar on the other days. But again, like swimmers, like it's important
0: to do some of that without too much load. Yeah. One thing I would like to just do a quick little aside on and then we can come back is just to make it clear to people who might be listening to this and think, oh, what Steve is saying is I should definitely bump up my medium long run as my next step to take. I would just argue that there's one step, if you want to really optimize your running and get it really dialed in, there's one step I would take prior to raising your, weekly, your mid-week long run as a place to get it. I would implement um, consistent, excellently designed and patterned strength training. Um, I'm not talking about core work for 30 minutes or band work. Those things are fantastic and wonderful. Is the
1: glue that'll kind of keep you together.
0: If you if you if you need a place, if you really want to benefit somewhere, especially late in your marathon prep, so late, before you do, before you add more mileage, I would say, okay, let me spend six months to a year really learning. Number one, how to lift. You need to learn how to do a deadlift. You need to learn how to do a squat appropriately. That has helped me you need to learn how to do a split so squat. You need to learn how to do a Bulgarian split yeah. squat. You need to be comfortable in the weight room and you need to do it with really good mechanics. And there's just a few standard set workouts you can do, I mean, lifts that you can do, and you do them consistently in a way that really happens. You'd be shocked at the number of people who still think that because they run, they don't need to work their legs in the weight room. Like, I'm, are you serious? Like, we are in 2023. Like, that's an attitude that was gone in the just, 90s.
1: It's not just an amendment on your time on the on, on the other run. There takes,
0: there's a lot of prep that goes into it. More gains will be had mm-hmm. from a consistent well-planned, well-executed strength training program than any weekly volume could possibly provide you. So before you get more high volume in your weekly training, bring in the strength training, and maybe we can discuss that at some point in time, what that looks like and how that operates. But that's more important than your weekly volume and that medium-long-run bumping up. And you're better better bang for your buck in terms of time management. Once you learn how to do these lifts appropriately – you can get in and out of the weight room in 30 minutes.
1: Yeah, no, it, so for the triathletes, I introduced this because I was getting all kinds of, you know, a lot of, maybe it's in the knees, maybe it's in the feet, you know, you know, whatever it is, I was like, what's going on here? I was talking to my, my old triathlon coach, and he was like, try Mark Allen's 12 Beth strength, strength exercises, and it was, it's a link on like active.com, mm-hmm. and it's what Mark Allen used to do for all of his distance training, and the, the, it wasn't, it was like, you know, eight to twelve, mm-hmm. you know, but it wasn't it wasn't even heavy weight, but it was great form and it was the right it was the right workouts and it
0: literally took twenty or thirty minutes. It's the right physiological adaptation that's different from the load that you're lifting. You're working your muscles in different ways. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy, this this I don't know if this may have been debunked at this point, but you know, in the early two thousands, one of the things we talked a lot about with strength training was that it boosted your testosterone. So it's really good to do on the day after your, the day of your quality workout. So that you go in, you spend, you know, and usually you want to wait an hour or two, but some people don't have that privilege, right? But if you if you can get at lunch or at dinner, you can get out into the weight room or you have your home gym, and you can just get out there and do this 30-minute strength training program with good biomechanics and good stuff. You don't have to and we're not looking at maxes and all those other things. This is this is like sort of the anti- crossfit model right it's It's, more like get in get dirty get out don't mess like we're not looking for maxes we're not looking for competition we're looking on purely and simply making sure our chassis can handle the Baja California ride because we need to we need to be really strong to manage the loads that happen late in a marathon race
1: can you define quality for me there's a lot of quality being thrown out these days threshold same thing what what do you see as a quality workout and when could I if I'm just looking at it bluntly when's the best day for me to put my strength training in
0: So when I mention quality from a running perspective, I'm talking about work that's primarily done between your 3K pace and your half marathon pace. Usually it's repetitions, and usually the recovery is really important about how you're designing all that stuff. This is your standard six by a mile, uh, twelve by two hundred sixteen by two hundred high intensity session. Shorter high intensity sessions where you're focused on pace or effort in a really consistent way. Right. Those that quality work is the most physiologically. neurologically challenging work you'll do in a cycle. Your long run is 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 physiologically taxing but not really super neurologically taxing. And that mm-hmm. means it's not your whole system is not trying to integrate a whole bunch of information all at one time. It's basically just slow drip. Slow mm-hmm. drip, slow drip, slow drip, slow drip and that's where the magic happens. In quality it's like flush of A flood and then backing off and then flush of a flood and then backing off. And that teaches your body how to handle that kind of work. So you get a lot of benefit from it, but it breaks you down. It breaks you down neuromuscularly. It breaks down you metabolically. It breaks you down structurally. It breaks you down across and it breaks you down, you know, from a tiredness and and exhaustion perspective Yeah, but when and- you get and then you go to work and then you in the afternoon even though you're exhausted and tired and all you can think about is that first glass of wine or getting home and having food if you can then lift one of the things that happens right then is that your body because it's forced to do some kind of activity that's completely different from what you were doing before but it, yes yet it still has a big neurological ask OK, mm-hmm. there's an ask. Your body so you're goes, kind of
1: staying in that your in body that particular
0: goes realm. your realm. Bo- not- your body goes into a space that says, fuck, we've got to show up because daddy or mommy's asking us to show up. Yeah, for sure. And when that happens, it, poof, testosterone floods the system. Yeah. And then, boom, you're able to do it. You recover. And then what's great is because you didn't stretch that to the next day. The next day is fully an easy day. So this is why we do hard days, hard, easy days, easy and try to group them up. There are many pros that don't do it this way. They stretch this out in a lot of interesting and unusual ways. But let's just remember that pros are basically runners 24/7. They don't have real jobs. And so we the vast majority of us who are being, you know, 40-60 hour week work weeks You you, listen. Let's let's. We have to optimize somewhere along the line. We can't just do it the way they're all doing it. So when you're looking at, you know, some elite, you're looking at Grant Fisher's program or um, somebody else's program. Like they, they are. You are not. You do not have the ability to recuperate and recover the same way they do. So we have to be smarter about the way we do it. So this is the way that we typically box them up, and then that really privileges the recovery that happens in the day after, so that you're fully just aerobically effleuraging blood flow healing and really kind of like uh, and when people do that with their runs when they view running as restorative healing reintegrating like you're breaking deconstructing in the long in the in the hard quality workout then you lift weights to kind of break that down a little bit more and get some benefits from it then the restore restoration that happens afterwards is just and you, if you're intentional about it, I see. I say this a lot. We talked about this on the episode, one of the episodes recently. Really, the physiological benefits you're getting from all those hard sessions is happening on those restorative recovery, mm-hmm. easy days, because that's where you're integrating and everything's coming back together, and the body's saying, "Ah, oh, Daddy, I can trust Daddy. Daddy's mm-hmm. not gonna beat me up. Mommy's not gonna beat me up." you know we are parts We're, we regardless of how we look at it inter, internal family systems model of psychological psychology is a way that we basically operate in the real world we have different parts of ourselves that we you got you got michael the running person michael the cycling person michael the swimming person michael the married person michael the business person michael the run you've got all these areas right mm-hmm. and they are not they are all discrete in some key way some way you show up in the world a little differently when you're on a tray you business now, I don't care how integrated you are. Mm-hmm. That's not. Most of us are, are, are parts. So recognizing those parts and leaning into them and allowing them to really manifest in a way where they feel safe optimizes more than a steady grind or some kind of fake continuity or fake integration that's not really real. It's like just work with the cycles and flow of our inner experience related to our outer experience things that are showing up. I got in a car accident. Dude, you got in a car accident on the way to work, workout, guess what? Your workout's going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. 100%. And the idea that it's not is fucking crazy. That's the crazy. The crazy is the one who then has that accident, shows up all flustered and all messed up and says, oh, I expect I have to nail this workout now. I mean, come on. No, why don't you just chill? Run, show up next day or skip it all together. Like, this, these are the things we're trying. I'm trying to really target for people. Is, hey, no one workout is the most important thing. Keeping things continuous. I just went off on a diatribe. Sorry, that's, no, not, no. that's nothing even relevant to what we were talking about. Before,
1: no, it but. makes it makes total sense. There, there, there's something subtle to about about the conversation that when you introduce strength training into it it brings a whole other dimension on how everything kind of synchronizes together and flows into it. I've been trying to like for example I've been doing my long runs on Sundays mm-hmm. about 15 miles or so and usually find myself pretty tired on Sunday but it the only <laughs> it, you know the I've been playing kind of Django with with my schedule and I've found for the past like two weeks I tried doing strength on sunday after my long runs and it is bad bad, bad. yeah that, it's a bad vibe let me clear that up that's not
0: the day to do your strength no, it's, training. <laughs> it's not and i try to take You're a break and you yeah. know go
1: sit in the sauna and everything you know all the things and and i'm Doesn't like work. oh my god like what what a bad decision uh, well it was a good thing to experience because yeah. i'm like but it's not getting well then you know you can't do it yeah it's it it there's there's the long run basically the essence in that has been i've discovered that there's the long run and then there's the things that happen before and after it how you're absorbing the long run and how you're kind of processing it and what it feels like after and the recovery it's all very it's all very mystical in a way but dude post
0: long run naps are the greatest Yeah Get off the feet Post I used to I recommend the West Wing I used to I used to put on golf <laughs> Yeah Because I cared the Nothing Yanni, about it And there would be this Talking on the golf would be like Yanni oh. uh, yeah, Do the flute
1: thing From yeah. the Masters <laughs> yeah. Like just play that song
0: Whatever Whatever It was always so useful I would just turn it on And then I could just Have it there And I didn't need to be Paying attention to it yeah. And I would just sleep On a couch And get the most deep Restorative sleep And I would I would get up and walk um you know walk to go get water or walk to go get something and i'd be eek, eek, you know rickety and 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 crunchy mm-hmm. and i remember like oh this is where the good stuff mm-hmm. happened like i'm like that pain is this there's something about runners that we love a kind of pain that is highly unique it's almost like you have to be you know anybody who knows what it feels like post 20 or getting off a couch it's like geez louise um One last thing about the long run, one thing I think that can be really helpful for people who are thinking about it is if you're doing it in the morning an afternoon or evening, short walk, Mm John, walking the dog, walking with your family, walking the wife after dinner or something like that, some kind of way to sort of, it really helps immensely to make you feel a whole lot better. So I really used to do that a lot. I would, I would, do my long run i would sleep i'd lay, be lazy i'd then go off and do some other things family stuff or whatever and then after dinner i would always try to go out for a, a, a walk 10 15 20 minutes man like if i was alone some of my greatest thoughts and experiences happened during bike that ride, man. if i did it for other people did it with other people, bike ride would work the same way <laughs> the argument it's basically just making sure you're getting blood flow yeah as, as mcclung likes to say blood flow what he, uh Movement equals blood flow equals healing. That's how he Mm says it. And it's true. It doesn't really matter what, in fact, non-specific is the best way to do it. It's like just something that's not specific um, can be really helpful. So I don't, I'm sure there's other aspects of the long run that we haven't hit on. I Um, think that that's a... Fueling is probably really important, but that could be another topic all by itself. But
1: yeah, it's...
0: Oh, pace. This is an important thing. We we,
1: we talk all about long run and don't talk about pace.
0: So let me just, I can hit this really quickly. Um, Uh, I think pace is is uh, this is something we just talked about in my us is season end review. Somebody asked it, it, is it is it possible to run too slow on a long run? That's a great question. And the answer, I is wonder the same thing unequivocally, absolutely yes, okay. You can run too slow on a long run. And why is that? Because if you go slower, and I, my metric for this is it's not scientific, it's just experiential, it's just anecdotal evidence, but the anecdotal edi- evidence base is deep. This is athletes that have run 210 for the marathon to athletes running four hours for the marathon and everybody in between that one minute to two minutes slower than your marathon current marathon fitness for people who don't know your current marathon fitness 1 to 2 minutes slower than your marathon goal pace assuming you don't have a crazy outlandish marathon goal is is the space you should be in 1 to 2 one to two minutes. So if your marathon goal pace three hour marathoner is a is is a is six six fifty, but let's just call it seven for the ease. Mm-hmm. So that person would basically start off their easy run. They're going to start it off their long run, um, and you can start off slower. So let's just say you're recuperating and recovering than somebody who's got a seven mile warming up
1: eight forty five.
0: You might be. You might no. You might even be ten minutes for mm-hmm. the first two miles, but eventually you're going to get into that nine between, you know eight and nine minute mile pace and you're going to find a sweet little groove and just stay in there and occasionally near the end of the run you can close a little bit and move down but i usually recommend you never want to get down to that marathon goal pace on your easy long run day because you're then moving into a system that's beginning to really tax and you're not getting that full benefit from that that what I talked about, mitochondrial density, capillary You're density, getting another benefit, you're getting but a, it's not the, it's one, not the that, one you're yeah, intending. Yeah, it's exactly. not the one you're intending. But it's totally natural and normal to get down towards, you know, in that case it might be somebody might get down towards 730, 745, 730, 715 even, but you do want to sort of just really try to pull back the reins and not get down to your marathon goal pace. That way you get the full benefit of that easy long run, okay? And that's both days. That's on my, in my calendar. That's the long duration over distance easy long run and the recovery distance lo, recovery long run. Now the one in between, <laughs> the quality long run, I give really clear pace objectives during that. They're, my my workouts are very organized around pace or feeling state objectives that we're trying to get into those sessions. And so, therefore... Because it's a simulation. Because it's a simulation and they're goal-oriented and they're trying to reach a goal time. So, we do that to get them prepared for those things. But So, that's where I would sit with it. I think I have had athletes... You know, when I worked at Rogue, I started working with a different population of people that I hadn't worked with before. And I came to that group and their coach had told them that you can't go too slow on your long run. And um, initially, I was like, well... Maybe that's true, or maybe I had the I didn't. I never really experienced it when I worked with my athlete population. I could I, mean, I did everything I could possibly do to keep them, keeping a minute slower than their marathon pace. It was never a question of running too slow. It was always always running too fast. But in that group of people, I found repeatedly people were missing the Shuffling first cycle. I worked with them. Of- they missed their marathon their marathon time. They were running easy, but they were running three minutes, two minutes to three minutes slower than their marathon goal time and there was no specificity then and they were beating themselves up over the long haul about being out for too long i mean those folks were a little slower the vast majority of them so it's maybe not apples to apples or um you know plan but i mean in terms of analogy but one of the people i can think of specifically was trying to run sub four hours for the marathon Mm -hmm. and so she was running um her long runs three minutes slower than that so that's like 12 minute mile pace or something like that and it's just a slog, and it really isn't doing much, and there seems to be no specificities. I found that that, and as soon as I told her, hey, never run, you can run as easy, you can run easy, but it should be between one and two minutes slower than your marathon goal pace, she did that, and she meet, read, reached her goal at the next race. Yeah. And the argument I would make is there's no way for us to determine what the actual, too many variables were changing then, but changing the because she felt so recovered from those long runs, I mean, she suddenly was doing long runs that were 30 minutes to an hour shorter than she was doing before. She was recovered and ready to do the next quality workout, and then she was recovered for the next week when she was ready to do other work. So what we found was she was able to uptake more of the load because she had limited the amount of time that she was on her feet. Um, And the other thing that happens when people run much slower than that, there's this tendency to really do what ultra runners do, and you overfuel. There's such a thing as overfueling. I mean... My first five years as a marathon coach, I worked mostly with, as an athlete, I didn't really run the marathon, I didn't run the marathon until I was 40 years old, right, mm-hmm. personally. I would worked with many marathoners in those, you know, 10 years of that window, but I hadn't really done it myself, and I was just like, when I first started coaching marathons, like, people are fucking gaining weight. How do you gain weight training for a mm-hmm. marathon? Well, because their body suddenly was like, oh, endurance evolutionarily we need to be ready for this we need to pack they so your body would start to take on more calories and people would be like oh if the furnace is hot and if anything will burn you know that's the old that's that's comes mm-hmm. from once a runner like i can eat anything No, you can't you're probably only running 30 miles 35 miles a week and your long run's really not long enough to burn all that off and then you're adding while you're doing your long run lots and lots of fueling and then you're eating a lot because your body's triggered to do that people will gain introducing weight
1: introducing kind of like simple sugars into the stream not and many people their cravings
0: would be really crazy, like yeah. ice cream and because they're, top- they're cake because they're so used the gly- to topping off the glycogen tanks. Correct. And yeah. that they would and we were and at first it was like, what the hell's happening? Right. And but it took me about a year or two to realize it. I was like, oh, and then I started implementing something I also recommend for people to think about in their long runs. I highly recommend on that disc I, I highly recommend a lot to not fuel during mm-hmm. your long runs. It's another whole topic of conversation we can get into at some point in time. But experimenting—that's definitely a controversial one, and I lean on that side. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I met with when I met with the the exercise science experts in this area, Doctor Coyle and Doctor Wetmore at the University of Texas Exercise Physiology Department, we met with them in a meeting, and I told them that we do unfueled. In fact, at the time, I was doing three—I was doing thirty-mile unfueled runs for my athletes, mm -hmm. and they were like, "Just water." You're fucking mm-hmm. crazy. And their statement to me was, why would you not fuel if you can fuel? We need the body to be better at fueling. So keep teaching it to fuel. Mm-hmm. One thing that they don't mention though, all of their tests were done on high-end athletes and 99 no 95 percent of them were done on a bike.
2: Mm.
0: No load. You add, on race day, you add a acidic stomach of nerves with no, nothing in there to do anything with it. Then throw sugar in a highly acidic empty space and throw a bunch of sugar in there and shake it up. Do that with a, just do that with a, <laughs> mm-hmm. with with any water bottle you have. Put some acid in there, put some sugar in there and shake it up. It's going to explode. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, your tests are not appropriate. And then the, bo- the body's, the stomach's moving. On the bike, the bo- stomach's not moving. It's just sitting stationary, mm-hmm. right? And then, um, so there's that piece of it, right? That, and they were like, oh, well, we we'll, we'll think about that, but I don't think that's that big a deal. So then I said, okay, here's another argument for why I think this way. Psychosomatic. They're like, we don't deal with the psychosomatic. The psychological is not even involved in all this. I'm like, it's not involved in your lab. But it is happening out on the real world. (laughs) Every single person out here is processing through this complex nervous system functionality, trying to figure out what's going on. And when they reach this threshold, this threshold of going from sugar glycolytic-based fueling and shifting into fat-burning fueling, especially the men, they suck at it. We have no experience at it. Women are much better at it. but men are terrible at it. They drop off a cliff. This is where the wall comes from. So basically, the reason the wall came into our public consciousness is because people weren't fueling at all on their long runs, and mostly men were running, and they would reach this mythical hour-and-a-half, two-hour window, and they would just fall off the edge of a cliff. What's was a fueling cliff, and my view is your shift, that shift, that ability to shift between glycolytic fuels, especially for men, it's really important to practice not fueling, so you have less of a drop, and you have more control, and you feel, from a nervous system perspective, more... Safe and ready for what's going on. Um, and so my men, I typically don't. Now, my women that I work with frequently, they have more stomach distress for whatever reason. They have harder time dealing with fueling. I've got two or three women I work with who don't fuel at all on marathon race day because it's just too problematic for them. But that's another piece of the long run that's important is just where fueling sits with you, how you play with fueling. Um, I'm much more keen on fueling on your long run quality workout the days that you're being specific. Um, and then on your long, easy, long duration runs, um, maybe going unfueled. Now, when I say going unfueled, I'm also recommending you bring your typical fuel of of, of preference along with you, mm-hmm. one of them typically, so that if you get into trouble out there, you've got the ability to take that fuel on. And when you take that fuel on that in that state, you will get a full-on psychosomatic experience of what glycogen, how it is to run on glycogen and how it is to run on that because you'll immediately get that uptick in Mm -hmm. the use of it and those people who take who gel consistently and steadily throughout their whole training and all their long runs and everything else they never get that felt sense experience and i think it's instructive incredibly instructive to understand how the body's operating and functioning and working and maybe i'm extreme in my implementation but you know i think extremes can be useful and when i train for a marathon I never fuel ever I take water only water only except for two key sessions and I'm a big believer in UCAN it works for me I take it early and then I carry whatever fuel I need to along the way um, I ended up taking um, UCAN on ultra stuff I take a UCAN bar in runs I take a UCAN fuel and sometimes I don't take it Yeah. Um, but on race day I'm ready to right. Ray, race day I'm ready to keep topping off and keep topping off and the question will be for some people will you be ready for that each person needs to decide at what level of preparedness they need to be. Personally, I'd rather, I just like running with, you know me, I don't even wear, I don't wear plated shoes and I'm I'm just a fucking dirt bag, old school dirt bag. I don't want to do it. I I want to do it as, I don't want to do it with as least as possible, but man, you know, I'm, I don't, but I, I do know there's differing points of view. As you said, it's controversial. I'm not saying, again, I'm not speaking from a place of pure science. Definitely not. I'm, i always operate from a place of what's happening in the real world and that's why i make the recommendations i make
1: i like that a lot yeah i i kind of i take the, the the same fueling strategy i fueling is is something that i do very specific to a race when i'm trying to decide what have i been eating for the past six months what's gonna sit well like what variety am i gonna so i'm very very specific about what's going to settle in the stomach, and because I know that I'm going to get out there and just be taking whatever I can just to get the job done. But very few days are like race day. Even your 16 to 18 mile quality long runs simulate race day, but they don't require what race day requires.
0: Correct. No one. This <laughs> so is the why? uniqueness yeah, of the marathon yeah. that I yeah. try to highlight to people when people wonder why. They're working out strong, but their race day is not so great. It's because there's no way to practice the marathon the way we practice a 5K and a 10K. And right. I can get you to do four miles worth of specific 5K work. I can ask you to do eight miles to nine miles worth of specific 10K work. I can do 13.1 miles of specific half marathon work in any given bout. Right. And typically, except for the longer you go, it's harder to recover. But typically, because the pace is slower, you're able to recover. I can do it repeatedly. I can mm-hmm. do it twice in, a, I can do twice in a month for half marathoning. I can do it three to four times in a month if I'm doing 5K. The marathon, we can't do it ever. Mm-hmm. The only time you do that is the extension. Now, if I had a young lion that I was working with, male or female, who was curious about, and they came to me right after college. I would spend a lot more time, I would run them early, multiple marathons. I would do a maybe a, a year where we did four or five marathons. Mm-hmm. But we trained um, mostly aerobically for all of it. And we just did each one of them with a different little bit of a different feel. And then I would give them a break after that window of time, maybe a three-month, two-month break. And and then come back and go back to normal training and then see what would happen from that. Because I think that would be really instructive to getting them to be, number one, to de-escalate the fear of the marathon. You know, I say the marathon always wins. That's true. I'll never step back from that statement. But you can get better. You can get more likely for it not to get over on you the more you do it and to do it in a low key way is really helpful early on so your nervous system starts to say hey i can trust Michael like, doing this i can the, make this happen.
1: If everybody who runs in our club they're like oh, wait, how should i think about the marathon i just sign up yeah, just just run go one. just just go run one don't it doesn't make it matter precious. how you do in fact you know don't even place an emphasis
0: on that just go just go Why try is the marathon the day so day. different from ultras? Why do when people do ultras, they don't care about their finish time? Yeah. All they care about is getting to the finish line. Right. But we don't even think about that in the marathon. The marathon is so twisted. Well, we've that way. done a good job at
1: not talking about the the cultural dysfunctions and everything. But I think I think that there is a lot of you know the, the, the marathon has always been the timed event. It's yeah. always like some. The, you know, the Boston Marathon, the sub three, the fact that the first age group, you know, I guess it goes until 34 years old. And that's a pretty aggressive off. It's, the, like Olympi- it's, it's it- the
0: Olympics for the everyman. Yeah. And so that makes it, that's what pulls that mm-hmm. person and it typically pulls in a more type A person. And it typically pulls in a person who's looking for another area of their life to be, to just to try to attempt to gain mastery. Right. And so that's a beautiful thing. I don't want to d de- But here's here's my segue. Only thing. Here's
1: my segue, and my and and here's my little esoteric statement at the end of it all. And I'd like to talk about this sometime because this is my obsession now. Uh, I have running as a practice, as an obsession. And the second is, I imagine, I've been I've been thinking about how we come into running, and you've probably heard me say it before. But I am fascinated with the idea of going back. And considering the first run where we wanted to run for ourselves, and for me, I've got a very clear night. I was reading, I was reading the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, and I was sitting on my floor. It was 10 p.m. I was trying to meditate. I was, you know, feeling like my shit was just out of whack, and it was Saturday. It was like two months into sobriety, and I was like, something, something's not clicking. I just need to go for a run. But I asked something very specific. I was like, I need something special that I can't manifest myself. I have to ask the gods running to give me something. I don't know why I chose it. And even if you're type A, we all, I believe, unless your parents made you run cross country and you've just been running for your. Parents or whatever. Ever since, you know, I think I think ten out of ten runners who are who are running, uh, who anybody who's ever come into the sport, we came into it asking something absolutely extraordinary. Not something superficial. Not something something. It was like we humbled ourselves to what it would give us. And slowly and slowly and slowly, we find ourselves kind of myopically getting into that people would consider like the type a-ness of running and it, that's like a cool thing to be type a about running i get it like it, it kind of fits some people's personality but even those folks they didn't just pick up and go running because it hurts they picked up and went running because maybe that type a aspect was they needed something else and they found this and it so fuel, i'm challenging it fuels
0: or feeds them it yeah. feeds or fuels them
1: and and to me there is there there is there's this idea that boy we just can't forget that <laughs> the marathon does a great job at offering us motivation and stimulus and momentum but at the same time it is still what you would say the marathon always wins the marathon is the teacher running is always the teacher we we've got like i would say that we would be uh in a in a weird place, if we think we've got it all figured out. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think <laughs> I think you know one thing that I've been thinking about in regards to this is that the idea of pursuit and practice is the the pursuit is essential. Yeah, because if it's just a practice and it doesn't have like teeth somewhere, it's, I don't okay, not essential. It's there like, are people who just practice. I think there's probably something to that. That the, the, the old old school town like shuffle, as I call it, yeah. those people are not missing out on anything. No, but I but do that's think that's also many their people, pursuit. Correct. That many people come to the running as a type A or as a pursuit. And just remember that you need to be able to work on that spectrum. you got to work would, on that spectrum.
1: You know, we ask questions sometimes at the end, even if you're type A, if how many runners are out there that came into running looking to dominate it before they even went for that first meaningful run? Oh, yeah. I don't know anybody who's Nobody. done that. You came into it because you needed something. Yeah, <laughs> hundred percent. And so that's a good that's a good paradigm. Yeah, I think. But uh, it's I see it as like a crust. You know, you don't just go to the store. The practice is the crust. It holds everything.
0: Sorry, guys we we brought the practice back yeah. in, so you are stuck with us. <laughs> we should rename this, not keep going, or we should call it the running practice or yeah. something. Anyway, but
1: the, I think I think talking about it all is it, it helped me out. It yeah. helps me out a lot. You know, I'm juggling a lot, thinking about my routine, and I don't know. I th- I think this was a really good conversation. I really like talking about the long run.
0: Yeah, I think it's good for us to do these conversations occasionally that comes back to a real real specific running topic. Mm-hmm. Because we've both got different perspectives, and we see, we we agree with each other in the foundations, but we have different applications because of our different um, experience levels. And I love the nuance that you bring to these conversations because of your experience triath- in your triathlon training. I think it, I think that makes this particular podcast super unique in the running space. Because while I think the vast majority of our listenership is focused primarily on running. I think that having that other place allows it to grow. And I think that, you know, hopefully more triathletes hear this because as the great Paul Carroza said, you can't escape the run.
1: Yeah, but
0: I just taught, I just have an athlete that I'm boarded with me. Who's just, just finished her uh, first Kona. And she's like, I know I'm a better runner and I never get the chance to really run. And that's the problem with the, that's the real challenge. I always think about the Ironman distance is, you can't escape the run but you never really focus on the run and and even focusing on the run can sometimes unless you're highly competitive really be problematic in your particular like you said i mean how much faster did you get when you just did zone two running primarily during that phase before before your experience i want
1: to i want to talk to her about about this subject because uh yeah it's a blend
0: it's, yeah, and she's just interested right now, primarily in being a good marathoner or a good half marathoner, mm-hmm. and then maybe coming back to the Ironman later. Because so so it's really instructive and useful and helpful. But
1: yeah, yeah. oh that's yeah that's cool. it's cool. It, I'm glad to hear that that she's doing some some running priority right now. That's good stuff.
0: Cool. Thanks, guys, for listening. We appreciate you as always. If you got anything you want to share with us, reach out to us. Um, and you know, as just to make this pitch. Not that we really care because we're going to have these conversations no matter what. But if you want other people to find this podcast, you have to give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever. And if you want to next level that shit, leave a, leave a comment. Um, because it evidently it makes a big difference. Again, we're not really concerned about growing the listener base of this podcast, but, but, as I've said now a couple of times, this is one of my typical pitch on this topic is that I think it's really instructive. And if you think that some other runner would benefit from you, as important as you sharing that this podcast with them, it's probably more important actually to give us a rating um, and potentially a review if you care about this finding the others. And we do. We'd love for other people to more people to listen to it, not because we've got any financial benefit or ego benefit at this point. We're not really into it for those reasons, but help this podcast find the others. It makes a big difference. Godspeed, y'all. Godspeed.